Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Yeah, I said the whole thing. It's the Baltimore Orioles 8, the Cleveland Guardians 5. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And, boy, I'll tell you, at the, at the start of this thing, I mean, after that second inning, I wasn't sure I really wanted to talk about this game that much. I mean, it, it was a pretty bad start. It, it's... It, Terrible, terrible start. And Cal Quantrill in a very important game, and we're going to get into it here because it is the top storyline, comes out with an absolute clunker. And, I mean, he's just getting hammered, especially by the top of Baltimore's lineup. And, yeah, uh, not really fun to be down 7-0 after two innings. But, but you know, part of my thing is I leave the game on. It's the background as I'm cooking dinner. And uh, it started to get a little interesting. We started to get some guys on base. We started to get to uh, Baltimore starter uh, Gibson. Uh, and we kind of clawed back into this game. A few more breaks go our way. Uh, you know, maybe maybe we uh, come all the way back uh, to match Baltimore's eight runs. But... Ultimately, and look, you're going to hear the same sentiment from basically anyone who's covering this game. I mean, Underwood, the minute they came back from commercial break after the last out of the ninth inning, was basically saying this. Where, you know, putting yourself in a 7 nothing hole and eventually being down, you know, 8, uh, giving up 8 runs, that's it's too big. It's, t- it's too insurmountable, right? It would take a miracle to come back against that. It can be done. That's why you finish the game. And that's why this team has a lot of heart. You know, they stuck with it. I mean, when Ramirez pops out with the, or, you know, flies out to shallow, to the shallow outfield with bases loaded, he is very upset with himself because he knows, he knows that comebacks are possible. I mean, it takes a Herculean effort, but they are possible. And uh, it was just too much for this team tonight. They just didn't have, they had a little bit of magic. They didn't have all the magic to make that comeback. But what they did is at least create an interesting game for us to talk about. So we will get into it. We'll get into a little bit of that comeback. We're going to talk about some hitters. We're going to talk about the middle of the lineup a little bit in this one. We're going to talk about Josh Bell and Andres Jimenez because uh, I have thoughts. I have some thoughts. But uh, first, we got to answer your questions because they they lead us into the top storyline of this game. So I uh, got two emails on this one. Uh, first is from Rick in Austin, and it's it's interesting because Rick is going to kind of tee up the conversation, and then we got an email from Marlon, and he's going to kind of uh, finish the conversation here. So Rick said, uh, hi, Davey. I think that Quantrill's... Now, he emailed me in the middle of the afternoon, so before the game started. Hi, Davey. I think that Quantrill's start today is huge for him and the guards. If he pitches well, it will be tough. Guards win most of the games that he pitches. If he has a clunker, perhaps try him in the bullpen and send Curry and Gaddis to Columbus. Bieber, McKenzie, Allen, Savali, and Bybee is a nice rotation. And Gavin Williams waiting in the wings is an exciting option. Well, it's a nice problem to have. Go guards. Rick, that is true. I mean, you can never have too much pitching. That's, you know, it's it's interesting because in... Football, it's a different situation, right? Have you ever heard this saying in football, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks? Like In that sport, you have to find the man, the leader who is going to lead your football team. 
in baseball, it, re- it really doesn't hurt to have too much pitching. Like, it, it's a problem you can work with, whether it's moving guys into the bullpen, whether it's keeping them warm at AAA for when you need them, in the case of Gavin Williams, uh, or maybe even Hunter Gaddis here. We'll see what decisions are made, although I heard he's moving to the bullpen, but that might only be until they have to make those roster decisions. Um, so, you know, basically saying he's not going to get another start. So there's no reason we can't use him in the bullpen, you know, later today's afternoon game or, uh, you know, that first game or two in Minnesota. There's no reason we can't use him in the bullpen because he's not going to start another game once those guys come back. Now let's move into our second email from Marlon, which came after the game was over. Marlon, I think this might be the first time you emailed us. So I appreciate it. And uh, he said, hi, Davey. I'm currently listening to this morning's podcast, which covered yesterday's win versus Baltimore. I've also read Matt Lyon's piece on covering the corner, which said Quantrill's awful performance solved Cleveland's problem with too too many starters. Once McKenzie and Savali are activated from the 68-day IL, I agree with him. Quantrill should go to the bullpen. Karinchek should be opted into AAA despite tonight's clean outing. The rotation should be Bieber, Dr. Sticks, Bybee, Allen, and Savali. So, he basically had the same, you know, idea Rick had in a different order. Uh, Quantrill has been bad all season, and I'm fairly certain he's out of options. You know, actually, you know, Marlon, I checked, and according to that article I was talking about the other day, Matt, Matt Lyon again from Covering the Corner, he had Quantrill on there having options available. So I know Quantrill seems like a really established pitcher, but if there are things he needs to work on and they want to keep him stretched all the way out as a starter, I do think it is a possibility he he does have an option available to pitch in AAA this season. Uh, so the only choice to let him work on issues in the bullpen role, they probably want to keep him with the Major League team. This team needs to send a message that consistently bad outings will cost you as one of the younger players will be given opportunities as the next man up. So thank you, Marlon, for the email. And I do agree with you that it would send it would send a terrible message, an awful message, if Allen or Bybee get sent down in this pitching shuffle that's about to happen because two guys are coming back from injury. Like they have, they have gone well beyond anything you can expect from a rookie. And uh, Francona had a quote, Mandy Bell had it in her article um, about this situation where he basically said, like, yeah, you could see a rookie come up here and just have you know get hot have a few starts, but Allen's different. He, he was talking specifically about Allen. I don't, I don't know if this reflects Bybee as well, but he said about Allen, like, no, it's legit three pitches and works fast and his stuff, his stuff plays. Like he's, he basically said, this isn't just a young kid with, with a hot start. You know, maybe the league doesn't know him. The league doesn't know what to do with him yet. This is a guy that can pitch. Uh, and he believes in all three, you know, has three solid pitches to go with. Uh, so that's encouraging from Francona that, yeah, he sees what we see. And uh, we're not off base here. We're not too far off base that Allen and Bybee belong in this rotation. So, again, the decisions are coming. They've already announced that Savali will start on Friday, which puts him on regular rest from his last rehab start. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, McKenzie's name on there uh, as well later in the weekend or at the start of next week to uh, have his first start. So it's happening. It, it's The decisions are going to happen fast. And yes, Cal Quantrill 
had a chance. I mean, tonight, I, I think I really think it was kind of an audition to stay in the rotation. And an absolute, absolutely awful. Four and a third innings pitch, gives up eight hits, gives up eight earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts. He also hit a batter that turned into a run on 85 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And were all of them by Anthony Santander and Gunnar Henderson? It felt like it. It felt like Santander and Henderson uh, were all over Quantrill. And frankly, he just couldn't stay away from the middle of the plate. I mean, most of the big hits he gives up. The uh, the double to Santander in the fifth inning is a sinker middle of the plate. The cutter to Gunnar Henderson in the first inning that he hits uh, for the double is a cutter middle, middle of the plate. The uh, triple he gives up to Santander that he pulls down the right field line is a two-seam sinker on a 3-2 count, middle of the plate. And he's getting hammered on these pitches. Uh, you know, it's not a view we look at very often, but uh, just looking at the zones, and for an overwhelming majority of his pitches that are in the strike zone, when Cal Quantrill brought it into the strike zone, he was middle. He was in the middle, dead center of the plate. He was in the middle, middle quadrant, right? So they break the plate up right into a, a three by three box. So you know you've got the different zones we could refer to here. He he threw a the second most was uh, uh, for him for the right-handed pitcher to be to the arm side of the plate and down. So I'm looking at the catcher's view. So bottom left from the catcher's view, uh, he threw eight pitches there, but he threw ten pitches. Center, middle, middle, dead center of the plate, and by far the most of any zone within the strike zone. Now, when he wasn't throwing middle, middle, he was missing mostly to the arm side, mostly up to the arm side, 17 pitches up there. But that's a lot of pitches, 10 pitches dead center of the plate. And I already told you, a bunch of them got hit. For example, on the other side, Kyle Gibson, he only throws seven pitches. Middle, middle of the plate. He's got nine pitches middle away, uh, or middle to the left, I should say, from the catcher's view. He's got nine pitches middle to the right of the catcher's view. Uh, most of his pitches, 28 pitches from Gibson, came on stuff uh, down and away for the right-handed pitcher. Uh, so from the catcher's view down to the right. Um, so, so a significant amount of pitches that he was throwing out of out of the zone there. Uh, clearly his plan of attack on the night was to attack uh, that part of the plate. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when you're living middle of the zone, when you throw a pitch mix that doesn't really keep guys off your hard stuff, off your sinker and your cutter, and, you know, they didn't they didn't put that many cutters in play. Frankly, uh, they didn't swing too many times at the cutter. They swung way more at the uh, sinker, 19 times they swung at that sinker, and they put it in place seven times with an average exit velocity of 96.7. So, I mean, like usual, they're sitting on Quantrill's hard stuff, and when he's putting it right down the pipe, he's going to pay. It's just not a good combination. It's not a, it's not a successful combination right there from Cal Quantrill. And, again, Santander with some huge hits on this one. Uh, two doubles and a triple. My God, this guy really turns it on when he faces Cleveland. I mean, he's a good hitter in general, but when he faces Cleveland, he really turns it on. I mean, 
again, he, he was in our farm system at one point. Something about facing your former team really gets guys going. And Gunnar Henderson, who isn't having that great of a season, uh, DHing for him in this one, uh, you know, he's 21 years old. And uh, he's only hitting 207 on the season with a 715 OPS. But two hits in this one, three RBIs in this one, including three hard hit balls. Uh, yeah, those two guys were really, really making us pay. And, you know, Quantrill kind of kind of does a little of this to himself, right? He walks Adley Rushman. Uh, so he puts that runner in scoring position. Adam Frazier, the leadoff hitter with a leadoff single. But that walk would be costly. Because Gunnar Henderson would come up with two outs and deliver that big double, 103.4 mile per hour exit velocity, uh, and it would burn Brennan in right field, and both runs would come into score. So a walk comes in to score there in the first inning. In the second inning, he starts things off with a hit by pitch, uh, hits Ramon Urias to start the inning, gets a strikeout, but then gives up back to back singles. It drives in Urias. He then walks Rushman to load the bases, walks him again to load the bases for Santander, and Santander makes him pay, pulling that triple down the line at 96 mile power exit velocity. So, yeah, uh, you know, walks, not many on the day, but those walks come into score, the hit batter comes into score. Again, not a recipe for success for Cal Quantrill. He's he's putting himself in that hole. Uh, So, you know, I would love to be a fly on the wall of the dugout uh, because... Carl Willis said something to him as he was walking into the tunnel after his outing. And it didn't look heated. It didn't look adversarial, you know, or anything like that. Nothing, nothing negative. It looked like a coach giving his player, you know, some more, you know, some coaching as he's coming out of the game a little earlier than he wanted to be. And, uh, man, I would just love to know what that conversation was. I just love to know what Carl Willis said to him as he was walking off. Not not stirring up controversy or anything like that. Just uh, honestly, what does a pitching coach say to his player in that situation? Especially when the vibe around that player is his role could be changing. He could have just lost his starting job tonight. I, it sucks. And Francona even alludes to this in the article uh, in his quotes after the game. And he says... Uh, <laughs> Not like Francona wrote the article in his quotes in the article. He alludes to the fact that, you know, these guys are, they're, they're, I forget the term he used, friends, family, whatever. They're, they're, they're rolling together, you know, and they've been together for months now. And it's hard to tell a player that you've been with and you've been coaching and you've been believing in that their role's going to change because they're just not cutting it right now. That's, that's a, that's probably the hardest part of the whole freaking job as manager. So there are going to be two of those tough conversations coming up uh, within a week. So that's what was going on with Cal Quantrill. An ugly start. Uh, again, puts the Guardians in a huge hole. The other side of this is just, you know, again, we never talk about defense very often. But Will Brennan had a really bad defensive game. There were three balls hit to him that ended up being big problems. Uh, there was uh, the one in the first inning, Gunnar Henderson's, where he takes the first step in and then gets absolutely burned, cannot turn, cannot backpedal and get back to this ball. It's so hard because you learn it as early as Little League. When you're in the outfield, do not take your first step in. And I've been out I've been out there. I, I know you see it off the bat 
and just your head, you pick it up that that thing is coming in and you got to come in for it. And then you realize, no, no, my eyes are completely deceiving me and this is going to be all sorts of trouble. It's terrible feeling, right? I mean, your stomach drops in those moments and uh, all you could do is scramble back and get that ball in as fast as you can. And uh, it's just, it's one thing when it's happening out on the old man softball field. It's one thing when it's happening in Little League or in your high school games. It's another thing when it's happening at the major league level. Just like we talk about communicating in the outfield and, you know, those collisions. I, I'm blown away that those collisions still happen in the outfield in major league baseball. I'm kind of shocked that plays like this happen. It's not a bad bounce. It's not a. It, it, it's just solely based on those instincts and that first read and those mechanics of not taking that first step in. Uh, so Brennan gets burned there. I believe the triple that Santander hits, I don't remember the exact plays, but there was one down in the corner, and I know Santander's was down in the corner, where Brennan looks like he's going to be cutting the ball off. It looks like he's got a chance to cut the ball off. And... Uh, it skips the spin on the ball is spinning towards the outfield line and it skips away from him when it hits the grass. Again, it's another one of those things where he kind of looked like he was slowing up. He looked like he was slowing up as that ball was landing and you got to accelerate. You got to see that spin and you got to throw your body in front of that thing and knock it down. It made, it would have made a big difference in a closer game. Uh, it would have been a pivotal thing in a closer game. Uh, instead, it spins past him and goes all the way into the corner, and Santander clears the bases with a triple. And then uh, late in the game, he gets burned again, and he just absolutely gets... I don't remember what at bat it was. I don't remember what point of the game, but he absolutely gets burned uh, on a ball that sh- probably should have been caught. And either way, he makes he makes a bad attempt at it. Extent of turning and running... He's almost doesn't even have his hips turned around yet, and he kind of leaps facing home plate, and just it's an ugly play. And again, that looked like that looked like it belonged on the old man softball field. It didn't look like it belonged in a major league ballpark. So Brennan, who's usually a good defender, had a really bad night out there. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like the sight lines or something in Baltimore. I don't know, but uh, it did not look pretty out there. For for a guy that you yeah again usually pretty good defender like someone I would rely on defensively uh, late in games. So that was going on on that side of the ball. The uh, then the Guardians you know the storyline continues. The Guardians don't give up and they have multiple multiple rally opportunities here uh, in this game. Starting once they finally break up the no hitter in the fourth inning. Now the second time through the lineup is really when things start to happen. And I thought maybe, uh, you know, Naylor works a really long at bat in the fourth inning and draws a walk. And I thought maybe they're wearing him down. Ahmed Rosario had a, had a one-out single. After Ramirez flies out, Naylor draws that walk. Josh Bell then comes up with a bloop single uh, that scores Rosario, brings in that first run of the game in the fourth inning. And then, unfortunately, Andres Jimenez, man, he just attacks him with fastballs after that. And uh, gets him to pop out. And it got me really worried about Josh Bell. And it got me really worried about Andres Jimenez. Um, we're going to double back on those guys in a second. 
Um, you know, they get a couple of base hits in the fifth inning, but a double play from Zanino uh, is kind of screws up the rally there. Uh, in the uh, in the sixth inning, they're able to score some runs. Here's where things get interesting. They uh, they uh, get to Gibson here, and they force the Baltimore to go to their bullpen. And man, I mean, Baltimore's bullpen really had to work to get through this one. And it took uh, you know a big effort from Cano going uh, an inning and a third, and then uh, Batista was pretty tough in the uh, in the ninth inning. But here in the sixth inning, uh, Jose Ramirez kicks things off with a single. Uh, Josh Naylor rips a big double. Uh, and then Josh Bell, again, a sack fly, doesn't doesn't hit it hard. Only an 86.6 mile per hour exit velocity. But it's enough. And then Andres Jimenez comes up with the big hit, the double in the corner. And, you know, he got a pitch middle of the plate. And he finally hit a ball hard. Finally. And, again, I'm thinking in my head, you know, it feels like Andres Jimenez has been missing a lot of pitches in the middle of the plate. And it feels like he just is not hitting the ball hard at all. And after he hits this double, I mean, Guardians Twitter, like, was completely, we were all thinking the same thing. I think every Guardians fan out there was thinking the same thing. Like, finally, Jimenez hit a ball hard. He rips it down into the corner. Um, So they score two that inning. Again, in the seventh inning, they put a lot of pressure on. Uh, the bullpen, they score two more runs in the seventh inning. Uh, this time, it's the bottom of the order getting things going. Zanino with a leadoff walk. Straw with a single. Ahmed Rosario walks to load the bases. This is when Jose Ramirez flew out and was very frustrated with himself. But Josh Naylor rips a single back up the middle at 110.1 mile per hour exit velocity. And it scores two runs. So, uh, they claw back there, back-to-back singles in the eighth inning, but Zanino and Straw both hit in a ground outs. Uh, Straws would be a double play to end the inning. So that, I mean, if they could have made something happen in the eighth inning and clawed back a little bit more, maybe in the ninth, but they uh, Batista was pretty tough in the ninth and strikes out Quan. Rosario would uh, line out weekly, 79.5 mile per exit velocity, and Ramirez would line out somewhat weekly at 890 uh exit velocity so uh yeah yeah the guardians just again it was it was too hill too big of a hill to climb for them to come back in this one so uh that is all my thoughts on the game let's dive into uh, you know i'll just finish by saying I-, I was impressed that the offense kept fighting everybody actually Quan had had the worst game offensively he was 0 for 5 with two strikeouts uh, everybody else found a way to contribute somehow. Even Zanino without a hit. Uh, Zanino and Straw and Quan were the only ones without hits. Uh, you know, he, at least he walked and scored a run. So everybody found a way to contribute. Uh, it just normally we would say that'd be a pretty good game, scoring in three different innings, five runs on eleven hits. Like we would normally say, it's a pretty good offensive game if we got the kind of pitching. Like why can't that happen uh, <laughs> on nights when the pitching is there? So, uh, all right, that's all my thoughts on the game. Let's jump in real quick. Some things on Andres Jimenez. I did not realize, like I knew it had been bad for Andres Jimenez, but I didn't realize it was this bad. Average exit velocity, first percentile in all of baseball. Hard hit percentage, first percentile in all of baseball. That means bottom of the league. That's not first as in best. That's first as in worst in baseball. Expected weighted on base percentage, fourth percentile. 
Expected slugging, third. Barrel percentage, second. Walk percentage, fourth. He's not even drawing walks. Chase rate, fifth percentile. It's not It's not good. This is a guy who last year, like, the numbers weren't great. Uh, the percentile rankings weren't. The actual, the actual baseball numbers were good, good enough to be an all-star. But the percentile rankings, you know, he was still kind of towards the bottom of the league. But it wasn't first percentile stuff. I mean, his barrel percentage has dropped from 6.2% of the time he hits a barrel to 1.4% of the time. That's that's real, real low. His hard hit percentage went from, uh, and his rookie season was 26.4. He gets it up to 30.4 on 2021. 37.8 last year, getting pretty respectable there, and then drops to 19.9% of the time. It's a hard hit ball. So, yeah. Andres Jimenez is is struggling, and I thought it was interesting. I was, again, worried about middle of the plate. Like, what was he doing with middle of the plate pitches? Because it doesn't feel like he's even handling stuff in the middle of the plate. Now, I will tell you, last year, looking again at that pitching chart, that same zone, we can look at batting averages by zone. So that same 3x3 three three grid with, uh, uh, you know, a few zones to the outside corners, four zones to the outside part of the plate. Um, in the strike zone, he was a 300-plus hitter in every quadrant. It don't, don't, where, do, where do you want it? Up and away, down and in, middle-middle, it doesn't matter. His lowest batting average of any of the nine quadrants was 344. And his highest was 389, which is uh, middle-down, uh, down and in, and middle-in were all 389 batting averages. So... Literally anything in the strike zone last year, and he was getting a base hit. Like, it, that's pretty impressive. This year, not covering the strike zone the same way. Has a zero batting averages on things down and in. Is only hitting 250 from the middle in. Remember, what was that, 389 from middle in last year? Middle in, now he's hitting 250. That's a big difference. He's still handling middle, middle at 350. That's all right, that's good. Uh, middle away, 385. But he can't handle uh, the corners away. 182 batting average up and away and 100 batting average down and away. And remember, this isn't down and away out of the strike zone. These are pitches in the strike zone still. And he's really struggling with those zones. Uh, up and in, he still is handling. 444 batting average up and in. So that's kind of what's going on with Andres Jimenez. He's just not covering the plate like he used to last year. There, So, I mean, that's... There are things from last year that have definitely slipped in his game. And uh, it's not just that he's having bad luck out there. Uh, there are some real mechanical struggles clearly going on here that he just can't cover the plate the same way he did last year. So that's what's going on with Andres Jimenez. With Josh Bell, uh, where did the exit velocity go? Where did that average exit velocity go? I mean, in going to his percentile rankings... Uh, for exit velocity here, or uh, hard hit percentage. Well, you look at both. Uh, for exit velocity, in 2019, he's in the 95th percentile for exit velocity. In 2020, the pandemic year, he's in an 87th percentile for exit velocity. In 2021, with the Nationals, 92nd percentile for exit velocity. Last year was a struggle going to San Diego. was a struggle. He falls to 48th percentile for exit velocity. And this year, he's only back to 61st percentile for exit velocity and the hard hit percentages are basically the same 
So, uh, yeah, where did the hard hit balls go for Josh Bell? And again, going back to this game specifically and just looking uh, at his at-bats, and uh, he gets three pitches, three pitches to swing at that are all, in fact, he gets four pitches that are middle of the plate. The sack fly was on a cutter that was middle in and coming way in and jamming them uh, inside. And uh, the sack fly he hits at 86.6 mile per hour exit velocity. The single, that bloop single that he had at a 32-degree launch angle uh, in the fourth inning that drove in that run, a 72.9 mile per hour exit velocity. This is from a cutter that's middle-middle. And then two change-ups he gets middle-middle, one from Gibson, one from Cano. Uh, The one from Cano he hits at 83.5 mile per hour exit velocity. The one from Gibson he hits at 90.2. And based on the launch angle, the one on Gibson is a 47-degree launch angle. I'm guessing that's either a pop-out or a fly-out. And the one against Cano is a minus 6-degree launch angle. I'm guessing that's a ground-out. So, uh, yeah, these are pitches that are middle of the plate. I mean middle, middle quadrant. And he's in the 70s and 80s when it comes to exit velocity on these pitches. Not the big, hard-hitting guy we were expecting in the middle of the lineup. So, Yeah, until the middle of the lineup really gets things going. I mean, the bottom to top of the lineup can only do so much. They can only get so many rallies going. There's a reason you're in the middle of the lineup. It's it's to drive in runs. And uh, until the middle of the lineup figures things out, uh, it's going to continue to be a struggle offensively for the Guardians. So that's my deep dive. Oh boy. Uh, it was a lot. So thank you, Marlon for emailing in. Thank you, Rick for emailing in and, you know, continuing that conversation about Quantrill and what they're going to do with this pitching. I'm sure Zach Meisel and Mandy Bell are going to be all over it. And the other beat writers, if you're, if you're a Hoinsey fan out there, I'm sure they're going to be all over it. Uh, as soon as those things are announced, uh, we will know about it and it's, it's going to tell a lot. It's going to tell a lot about Francona and the front office where they go with this pitching staff uh, into the middle of the season, into the heart, you know, the summer, the heart of summer here is coming up and we're getting into it. And the decisions they make now are going to have big ramifications uh, throughout the rest of the season, but, you know, at the future of the Guardians organization. So I know it's a lot to put on uh, two guys coming off the injured list, but Believing in this young pitching is going to tell a lot about where this team is going. So thank you again, Marlon and Rick, for emailing in. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. You know, it's a disappointing start to the game, but at least they showed some fight. It's still good that this team is out there battling and contending. So again, the final from Baltimore. It's your Orioles, not your Orioles, their Orioles 8, our Guardians 5. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com, just like Rick and Marlon did. Let me know your thoughts on the pitching situation. Let me know your thoughts on what I said about Jimenez and Josh Bell. Uh, And, you know, of course, on the game itself, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.